I'm Patricia Duff and welcome to The Common Good. Today we have the third speaker in our mayoral candidate series here with us to tell us why everyone from Congressman Greg Meeks to Director Spike Lee thinks our candidate today should be the next mayor of New York City. And to drive the conversation, we have a very distinguished business leader. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge a few guests in the audience this morning. Our honorables, Ambassador Donald Blinken and his wonderful wife Vera, uh, Amanda Burden, uh, from our Honorary Advisory Board, Stan Schumann and Kay Koplovitz, um, and uh, past hosts with us today, Richard Gordon, Sally Menard, Debbie Bancroft, and past speakers, Jill Iskell and Kim Taypal, and a lot of other very distinguished and interesting people um, in our audience today. So thank you all. Um, and we look forward to you joining our Q&A. So please raise your hand early so we can allocate time for all your questions. And hello to everyone on Facebook because we're live streaming this event as well right now. So we're just two months away from the Democratic primary that will shape New York's recovery from the worst pandemic in 100 years, with hundreds of businesses shuttered and thousands of New Yorkers who have left for other locales. And in the race, there are still over a quarter of voters who are undecided and top candidates getting ready to spend millions of dollars to reach them. The race is heating up. And with the new election process of ranked choice voting, we cannot assume that the front runner in April will be the mayor in January. So let's meet the man who may be our next New York City mayor. We are thrilled to have you, Ray McGuire. And here is his recent ad. Ray, let's take a look. You might not know me. I'm Ray McGuire, and I'm running for mayor. My name might not be familiar because I haven't spent my career in politics, and I've never run for president. What I have done is work 36 years leading large global businesses. Like a lot of folks, I work behind the scenes, but no more. We're tired of the career politicians' broken promises, and we need something different. Give me your vote, and I'll give you the boldest, most inclusive comeback New York City has ever seen. You have my word. Paid for by Ray McGuire for Mayor Inc. There you go. Thanks, Ray, for coming. He grew up in Dayton, Ohio. And from there, he went to Harvard undergrad and stayed to earn law and business degrees before moving to New York to become one of the longest standing heads of an investment bank in the history of Wall Street as a talk executive at Citigroup. He um, has received endorsements from a slew of familiar faces from Jay-Z to the mother of Eric Garner, Gwen Carr. He's put a vigorous plan forward for the city. So we're excited to hear about it this morning. Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Rank choice voting. That means rank Ray number one, choose Ray and vote for Ray. Rank choice voting. So thank you for having me here. Thank you for all that you all are doing, Patricia. I'm looking across the screen and I cannot be more inspired because you have a group of people who have made such a fundamental difference in this city, who have contributed and led to the city being what it is, which is the greatest city that exists anywhere on the planet. So I'm really excited about being here. And thank you, Patricia, for all of your leadership. It has been extraordinary to draft behind you and now partner with you. And as we move the city forward, I see a few, maybe a lot of friends on here. So let me give it to you, Patricia, and, and let's let's have at it. Well, I'm going to let, um, uh, we're really thrilled to welcome investor and philanthropist Glenn Hutchins, who has known um, Ray since their Harvard days, and we have the photographic evidence to prove it. See right there? <laughs> Glenn is now the chairman of North Island Ventures and co-founder of the hugely successful global technology investment firm, Silver Lake. He's also been a past speaker at, for the Common Good. Glenn, thank you so much for moderating the discussion. And with that, I'm passing the mic over to you, Glenn. Okay. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, and thank both you and Will Bancroft for pulling this together, as well as I want to give my special thanks to Sherry Gold and Lily Patrickoff for helping organize this event. Um, Pat, I thought that rather than give the standard introduction of a politician running for office, I would instead read excerpts from the remarks that I offered on the occasion of Ray's retirement from Citibank not long ago. And by the way, Ray, don't worry, I've edited out the good parts. Um, <laughs> Uh, in, the fall of, in the fall of 1975, Raymond J. McGuire of Dayton, Ohio, arrived by way of Lakeville, Connecticut at Harvard for his freshman year. He was clearly a superstar in the making. He was brilliant, charismatic, charismatic, elegant, and worldly. We became blood brothers at first sight and began a friendship that has now spanned 45 years. Uh, nearly eight years after the meeting, Ray and I stood side by side as we, uh, as we received our JD and MBA degrees together. That was where the picture was from, 1984 at Harvard. 
which together with our Harvard undergraduate degrees, we call our triple crown. And we have the cufflinks to commemorate it. Ray has essentially been a part of our family. My girlfriend then, now my wife of 37 years, has always been as close to Ray as I am. Ray attended our wedding and was with us every step of the way as we raised our family. We're so very pleased, we were so very pleased when Crystal and Leo came into Ray's life and formed his own loving family. As I built my business, Ray served as most, my most important counselor to whom I could turn for wisdom and support. Most important, he set an example of community involvement, this is the part I want people to focus on, that my wife and I had emulated as we created our own philanthropy. He notably nudged us in the direction of serving disadvantaged communities of color from whom he had received, from whom we have received so much more than we've given. It was another gift from Ray to me. I close this by saying Ray is the very best friend a man could have. Citibank's loss is New York City's gain. Okay, so that's my introduction, Ray. I'm gonna to start today by posing um, uh, the first question I posed to you when we talked about this a few years ago, why in the world would you wanna be mayor of New York City? The problem is overwhelming, the job is thankless and you're not a politician. What's up with that? I think was exactly what I said. That is exactly what you said, Glenn. And, and before I answer that question, let me just say publicly what I've said privately and the opportunity that I get that your friendship is a gift from on high. I couldn't be more proud and more grateful for uh, what you have done for me and what you have done for so many others for which there's no fanfare, but for which there is deep friendship. And so outside of my family, uh, the, the people who we choose to help us along the way and who partner with us and, and who guide us, the closest people to us, is what we call our friends. And you have been steadfast. So thank you, Glenn, for your friendship. And in response to your question, and I will respond to you and to everybody else now as I did then. You know, this city has been great to me. I love this city. I come from rather modest beginnings in the neighborhood where my single mother raised me and my two brothers. I think most of you know that uh, my mother, I didn't know my dad and along with my grandparents, my mother raised us and uh, half dozen foster children in our home at any point in time. And my mother's sacrifices got me to a point where the teacher in 11th grade said, if you're as good as they say you are, go test yourself against the big boys and girls in the East. I took a Greyhound bus around New England and landed at the Hotchkiss School and did okay there and then applied to colleges and got into uh, college, law school, and business school. I came to New York with three things. I came with a great education. I came with a lot of debt and then no money. And this city has been extraordinary to me. It is, as you said, the place that I, I found uh, and married my wife, Crystal. We have three children, Leo, who is eight, Ella, who is 18, just got into her college for a choice, and Cole, who is 20, drafted first round into the NBA, and now is a starting point guard for the Orlando Magic. So this city has been extraordinarily good to me personally. And professionally, I came to this city and I came into a world called corporate finance where uh, it's, all, it's all too well known that there was one or two people look like me. So I had to knock down doors and manage through conscious and unconscious bias and get to a position of leadership. And in so doing, extend the ladder to others across New York, getting them training, getting them jobs, getting promoted, getting them compensated. It is likely that I have created more jobs and created more wealth than all the other candidates combined. And I take that with the relationships I've been able to develop in this city and the responsibilities I've been given in my professional capacity to lead and manage through the depth of the financial crisis at a moment in time when the city that I love that's given me so much is in the midst of a crisis, the crisis of COVID, crisis of the economy, crisis of safety on the streets, and the crisis of education. And if there is a moment in time where someone who's been given the gifts that I've been given, given the basis from which I've started, the bottom from which I started to get here now, I got to step up, Glenn. I got to step up. Because if I don't step up, I'm not quite certain who's going to lead this city, who can bring it together, and who's got a vision for how this city ought to go forward, most inclusively. So that's why I'm running. We do things for the people and places we love. And I love the city, and I love the people in the city, especially my family and yours. That was almost exactly what you said then, by the way. <laughs> And it was equally well, man, that's what you know about my truth. <laughs> my truth don't change. I don't have to remember yesterday what I told you. Tomorrow could it ain't changing. I am like the great 20th century philosopher, Popeye. I am what I am. <laughs> Popeye the sailor man. Okay, oh, let's get into some issues. Uh, the first one is the economy and your pandemic recovery plan. You've laid out what I think you call the comeback plan. Uh, explain that to us. 
what do you think is most pressing need? What'll be your first step in office? How do you think budget about budget priorities? Lay so, that one out for us. <clears throat> so Glenn, no economy, no city, no jobs, no city, no job, no dignity. We need to focus on the economy. And why is that? We now have 600 and some odd thousand people out of work. The stated unemployment rate is somewhere between 13%. You go to some of the boroughs, it's 20 plus percent. So we need to put the city back to work. My plan is called the greatest, most inclusive economic comeback in the history of the city. 500,000 jobs, go big, go small, go forward. In the first part, which is infrastructure, it is making sure that we take care of the fractured bridges and sewage mains, build deeply affordable housing, take care of the 100-year flood that comes every five years and build broadband and give people access to broadband and mobile. Me and half of New Yorkers don't have access to it. And we need to focus. That's going big. Going small is focused on the small businesses. And I'll come back to that. And then going forward is making sure that the city is inclusive, that we focus on the industries of the future, like technology, like including on a minority women business-owned enterprises. We need to focus on that going forward. But what is at the essence of this city? At the essence of New York City are small businesses. They take care of and are responsible for 50% of the population in New York. And right now, one out of four at a minimum is out of is out of work, out of business. And so what I intend to do in my jobs accelerator, 50,000 jobs for which we'll do the following. We'll pay half the wages, half the wages for one year. We will negotiate their retention of New York, of the, the New York City sales tax receipts that they generate for one year. I'm gonna have a deputy mayor for the small businesses to come in and reduce the bureaucracy if not eliminate the bureaucracy. And in one instance of that bureaucracy is for, for the restaurants. You get 45 different fines from seven different agencies. That is not inviting restaurants to do business here. And the restaurant industry employs 400,000 plus people. So we need to address that. I also make sure for the small businesses that we uh, intervene when it comes to the fines that they've generated, eliminate those fines, and make sure that we negotiate them having a holiday on their FICO credit scores. So that doesn't have a negative impact on, on, uh, on their overall businesses. I also make sure that we do workforce training. $50 million for 15,000 New Yorkers meet the jobs with where their education is to get them back in the workforce. I have what I call my comeback bank which is where we're gonna put capital into the CDFIs, the local banks, so they can invest in these small businesses, the ones that exist here to give them grants and maybe have public-private partnerships so we put equity in. And for the new ones, I wanna give them grants, I wanna go them low interest loans and also partner with them. So I think about how we need to incentivize and accelerate the job growth in this city. It's gotta come with our focus on small businesses. The independent budget office says it's gonna take the 2024. We can't wait that long. I want to start early and I want to make sure that we invest and also part of the overall pro program that I have is to look at the arts and culture part of the city. They're fundamental. Arts and culture, 400,000 or so employees, 100 $150 billion worth of, of revenue. We need to invest in that as well. So my overall comeback plan, the largest, most inclusive is to facilitate the creation of 500,000 jobs. And we know how to play for it, as you know. So. You know, that's how we think about it. And we need to get at this. We need to get at it sooner rather than later because we can't wait. A lot in that, a lot to unpack. Let me just do a few pieces of it. One is um, uh, affordable housing, right? Yes, yes. Right? You've I'm talked sorry. a lot about that in your um, uh, uh, campaign uh, work. And 52% um, now of New Yorkers fear being forced in the city because of lack of housing. Um, lots of concern about gentrification uh, and um, lots of need to restore affordable housing in the city. How do you balance all those issues to create the kind of housing stock necessary to have the workforce in the city to be able to mount the comeback? So the first thing we need to do is to prevent evictions by increasing the amount the city currently spends on rental subsidies and vouchers from 130 million up to 400 million. And fundamental to the plan is to increase the housing stock. When we were building, we built 2.2 units of housing for every private sector job today. That's 0 0.5, 0 0.7. So what has happened is that the demand has so outpaced the supply that has gotten too damn expensive for people to live in New York City. 40 to 45% of New Yorkers are rent burdened, which means that they pay 50 plus 
percent of their income in rent. So we need to build deeply affordable housing. And my plan is to spend the dollars that we have available to us to do just that. Increase the housing stock in New York City by 10%, which is 350,000 units. Make certain that the that we do it at a at a point where those who are uh, the front end workers who make thirty to forty thousand dollars can can actually afford them. They are examples of what I'm describing here, real life examples. One of which I'll reference is the Bronx Common, and in the Bronx Commons, they have a uh, three hundred and some odd units, costs one hundred and eighty five million dollars or so to build, where the rent goes from two hundred and twenty five dollars a month to the most you can pay is $1,999 a month for a three bedroom. And it includes those who are formerly homeless, those who make 30, 40, 50% of AMI, all the way up to the area median income, which is AMI, all the way up to 100%. They have a music hall. They have facilities for our, for our elderly. They have solar panels to help generate the power in the, in the overall complex. They have a gymnasium. This is that to which we should aspire. And my plan is to make sure that we invest not only will it create jobs, it's got an economic multiplier effect to it. I put a billion dollars into a, a truly affordable housing complex. That's going to re result in two and two and a half billion dollars of economic activity. So we have to invest in deeply affordable housing so that we can make sure that this city becomes affordable. And my plan is to go from home homelessness to home ownership. So you've talked about so far about uh, your comeback, comeback job accelerator, 50% of people's salaries. You've talked about the amount of money you need to spend to build housing. Uh, obviously, things like broadband and infrastructure are going to be very expensive, right? Um, uh, how are you going to pay for all this? So how do you pay for it? Of course, you're going to ask me that question. So how do I pay for it? Having run the numbers, as you know, as we were trained to do, Right. Having run numbers for an entire business and managed budgets that are larger than most state budgets. So the way this goes is I'll just give you some round numbers here. We have a budget deficit projected at four plus four plus four billion dollars of deficit. So let's put that to the negative. What we have incoming from the federal government and let's call that five point nine billion dollars direct from the federal government to New York City. And that's excluding what we may get when we get to infrastructure. So $5.9 billion. And let's assume that this administration uses 2.3 billion of that. And my accelerator plan calls for the following. I'm gonna use $1.8 billion in the next fiscal year against that. And I'm gonna also add $300 million based on my jobs accelerators. That gives me $2.1 billion of sources. Against that, I'm gonna have $900 million a year in my uses, $450 million of which goes to wage subsidy, $350 million of which goes to retention of New York City sales tax, and $100 million of which goes to, uh, which goes to waiver of fees. So that's $100 million against my $2.1 billion. So we should end up, by the end of the next fiscal year, kind of at a $2 billion to the, to the, to the good. When I get to the next year, I'm going to go through the same math. I'm going to be down probably you know, in an acceptable rate, according to the experts, one and a half to $2 billion worth of deficit versus a 4 billion. And then the following year, I'm gonna be one and a half to $2 billion of deficit, which is also manageable. So we pay for this in the operating budget. I've not accessed the capital budget yet in the operating budget. So we know how we can go about doing this. We know the dollars that we expect for it to generate. We've mapped that out with different scenarios. So we'll be able to pay for this based on what we've gotten from the federal government what we're going to generate in the job accelerator program, and uh, what we can, what we're going to generate through efficiencies. I have also a three to four to five percent efficiency. How we how, how we operate this uh, government, this infrastructure, this business more efficiently than what we've had in the past. And as you know, we've increased the runway to expenses by twelve billion dollars in four years. So I'm quite confident that we can operate more efficiently. Got it. So um, good numbers. Well done. He was always the A student for everybody out there. Um, so, uh, the, the, as you know, the federal uh, 1.9 trillion stimulus bill, though, may be spent over several years is a one-time thing. So New York's going to have to get to a fiscal sustainability, and you went at some of those numbers just then. But some of that's going to involve tax policy. Um, and you have to have people in the city to tax, uh, particularly the wealthy. Uh, and right now, um, there's a, a lot of people left town. Uh, who are uh, anticipating higher taxes. You've got the issue with the non-deductibility of SALT. 
uh, you have a state tax going up substantially, which affects the same uh, constituency you're dealing with. Uh, and you've got young people who've moved out of the suburbs uh, and are now working remotely. How do you attract that group back to New York and retain them as part of the tax base? So one of the first things we need to do is stop advertising. We're advertising for Salt Lake City. We're advertising for Florida. We're advertising for Texas. We need to stop doing that. We need to make sure that people recognize we still have the smartest, most driven people. We got the best culture. We got the best restaurants. We got the best theater. We need to advertise that. So uh, I would come in and advertise. I would also make sure that those high taxpayers recognize that the city that welcomes them and doesn't want to alienate them. The same thing comes with the businesses, small businesses and big businesses, small businesses, that on which I focus. But that also means that we need to have a relationship with large businesses. We need to keep those large businesses here. And we need to invest in the businesses of the future. So my plan is to begin advertising about the greatness and the richness and the possibilities that exist in New York. I want to make sure that the business community is involved. I am pro-business. I want to be very clear about that. I want the, the, the largest taxpayers to be in the city. They need to understand that the city welcomes them and that we will have the incentives available, especially for the small businesses and for those entrepreneurs. And they need to understand the city is going to be safe. Part of the anxiety that people have in addition to the tax burden is whether or not the city is going to be safe. So what I need to do is return that premium experience for which we have paid time and time again for so long as that premium experience includes the least of the, which is why my focus on the small businesses is so important. We need to build, we need to grow. And that growth is going to be, everybody gets included. And I'm confident that New Yorkers who love this city, when they have a leader in whom they can believe and in whom they trust, whose sole focus is on what's in the best interest of New York City, that they will stay here, for one, because we got the best talent, and those who want to achieve greatness, like everybody on this screen, will find their way here. We got to make it affordable. We got to return that premium experience. We have to let the business community know that we need them and we want to partner with them, that they're part of the future, as they have been an important part of the past, and we need leadership whose sole focus is there, who doesn't know any favors, who's focused just on what's best for New York City, on the city that we love, which is why I'm doing this. I want to make sure that people recognize that there is a great future to this city. And with that, I'm confident that we can get those people here to stay here. And those people want to come here. We can attract them here. So, Ray, you alluded to uh, safety and that uh, and people wanting to feel safe in the city. Uh, and there's a complex interaction between that and a topic which you have been very focused on for many, many years and which you've taught me a lot about, which is justice. Um, we, I don't have to tell you what happened in the summer of 2020. Black Lives Matter calls for police reform, equitable policing for communities of color have long been targeted. Um, Again, a topic that you've been very focused on for many, many years. Uh, recent polling, however, as you alluded to, suggests that more, the more that the likely voters are more concerned about crime and violence rather than racial injustice as an issue in New York City. How do you balance both sides of that very complex issue? You know, Glenn, uh, we are now finding ourselves between a, a rock and a hard place crime on the rise and the necessity for safe streets and quality of life, but reckoning with how to do community policing in a way that's equitable for communities of color that have long been targeted. How do you strike that balance? One, we need to make our streets and communities safe while holding police accountable. I'm gonna shift resources with the NYPD budget to increase the number of officers focused on seizing illegal, illegal weapons and investigating gun crimes. I wanna be clear about this. We need to clean the streets up and invest in better policing. That's number one. Number two, I want to invest in community-based crisis management programs, which have historically proved to be quite effective at identifying where the crime is in the neighborhoods and going to help uh, prevent it from occurring. And then I'm going to have, because four to five out of the calls that take place to uh, four to five of the 10 calls that take place in the 911 have to do with mental health, I'm going to have an emergency social services office, network of mental health, drug abuse, and homelessness specialists, that will replace the police intervention for non-criminal behavior. I'm going to have the CCRB have full investigative authority so that rather than take 48 days to review video cam footage, I'm going to do it in 48 hours. I'm also going to have an accountability structure in the NYPD. I'm ultimately going to be held accountable, but it's going to go look like this. I'm going to have a deputy mayor for public safety. 
whose day-to-day -day job is to go across agencies, but to interact day-to-day -day with the NYPD. I'm gonna have a chain of command, chain of command accountability, which means that uh, when one or more officers commits an egregious offense, that the entire chain of command gets, gets held accountable. And I've talked about the, uh, the emergency social services and when it comes to the CCRB with full investigative authority, they will make a recommendation to the commissioner. And based on that commissioner's response, I'm ultimately gonna be held, held accountable. But I wanna be clear, we need to do whatever it takes and I will commit whatever resources necessary to make certain our streets are safe. The gun violence is also something that we need to address. I will direct the resources of the NYPD, working with the federal government, to attack that I-95 iron pipeline, which is where the guns are manufactured and how they transport cross I-95 to get to the top 10 precincts where most of the violence is taking place. It cannot be, it cannot be that it's easier to get an illegal handgun than it is to get a legal tablet. And we have to stop that. So when it comes to making certain the streets are safe, that has got to be the highest priority. I will make New York City streets safe. I will invest in the communities. I will support whatever it takes to make certain that the seats are safe. And I will make certain that we hold NYPD accountable, but I also need to partner with NYPD to make sure that these streets are safe. Got it. You've, um, uh, another topic that you, you've alluded to a couple of times on this call and which is central to both your life and your campaign, it's education. Uh, and um, there's no um, secret that the education system in New York City is in need of repair. Only 25% of high school graduates go to college. Talk a little bit first about the impact of education in your life and then how you want to apply those uh, lessons, in both meanings of the word, uh, to New York City. You know, Glenn, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here without education. You started early when my mother made the sacrifices for me to go to school in the suburbs of Dayton, Ohio. Bus came from north of town. I had to walk three quarters of a mile to a mile to get to a street corner where the bus would pick me up and take me to the south of town where the school had been built. And I went to that school uh, and my mother made sacrifices as a single mother. Uh, and as I said, I didn't know my dad, but she made sacrifices along with my grandparents for me to get the education. And uh, I was the only one from my family to finish college. My grandfather, I remember my grandfather here who had a third grade education and taught himself how to read through reading the Bible. And so education is fundamental to who Ray McGuire is. Without education, I certainly wouldn't be here. And the thing that I'm so, so outraged about is that many New Yorkers, many New Yorkers, especially those children who look like me, do not have that opportunity. Their lives are being determined by their zip code, by their zip code. So if there's anybody who's going to fight for this education, it's going to be me because these kids need an opportunity. And right now, pre-K is good, but ultimately, our kids arrive at pre-K already behind. So my plan is called Cradle to Career. I want to start at zero because all parents here know that as our children are developing their learning, I want to get affordable child care. I want to make certain that we have the appropriate caregivers who are the experts for our children, not babysitters and whom I have lots of respect and on whom we rely, but the experts who can make certain that they monitor our children, assess our children's growth from zero to four. So when they get the pre-K, they're on, they're on board. And then this is from my account. This is from my account. I want to make certain that by the end of the third grade, I want to be clear that every child in New York City can read by the end of the third grade and do math. Why is that? Because between zero and the end of the third grade, our children are learning to read. After that, they're reading to learn, and we've lost far too many whom we've never taught to read. So I want it to be for my account. Not one child gets out of the end of the third grade in New York City without being able to read. And by whatever it takes, I can certify a 10,000-person tutor's corps and certify college students to do this, retired teachers or teachers or existing teachers. Nobody gets out of the end of the third grade without being able to read. In the sixth grade, I want to make sure that every New York child Every New York student is digitally and financially literate and that they get exposed to the different career opportunities. In the eighth grade, I wanna make certain that they get exposed to those different career opportunities, have a summer job. I had a summer job. I dug ditches, I, I, you know, I laid tile, I changed bedpans, I DC'd IVs, made boxes in the basement of Phil's dress shop. I was a gopher, but I had a job and it kept me out of trouble. Make certain that every New York, every public school student in New York, eighth grade has a summer job. 
By the time they get to the 11th grade, they can go and pursue the interests that they've been exposed to, vocational or otherwise. They can spend half of their 11th grade year pursuing that. By the 12th grade, they can spend the entire year pursuing that if that's their choice. When they graduate, they can do one of three things. They can go to that job career to which they've been pursuing. They can go to a two-year, four-year college. I have been responsible from the cradle to the time they get a career, and we've given them opportunities along the way. In the eighth grade, the, the jobs, public-private partnerships. What the government can't do, I'm going to rely on the relationships we have in the private sector to give those jobs. So by the time they graduate, the jobs are going to be available. We have to invest today. It should not be the case that I can take 10 black and brown kids in the fourth grade randomly and only two can read. That is, a, that is the definition of a crisis, which we have to address with all deliberate speed, with the highest sense of urgency. Agreed, agreed. The, um, so a uh, lot of folks uh, don't, aren't aware, because you did this very quietly, of your support over many, many years, the De La Salle Academy, uh, a um, school for gifted, uh, private school for gifted, uh, underprivileged children. Um, by the way, my um, daughter-in-law teaches at its counterpart academy, George Jackson, uh, named after a friend of yours. Um, and um, I, th I mentioned that because you recently um, came out in support of creating more charter schools for the city. Uh, and I assume some of that has to do with the experience you've had with DLSL over the years. Um, obviously, it's a little bit controversial. Um, um, almost none of your uh, other, the other candidates uh, uh, support that. And it's obviously at odds with uh, the point of view of the teachers union, which is an important force in the city. Courageous stand. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Listen, I, I, I will be clear. I, I want to be very clear about this. I don't want there to be any ambiguity, nothing lost in translation. So if there are language translators here, please translate this directly. <laughs> I want to make sure that our children have the best, highest quality education, independent of their zip code in every borough, which means I am for, this is where I want you to be clear. I'm for the best district schools, the best. I'm for the best Madnik schools, I'm for the best parochial schools, and I'm for the best charter schools. I want our parents to have choice for the highest quality education that New York City can provide. And it ought to be, given that we spend $30 billion, it ought to be that we can provide the highest quality education along that spectrum. I want the parents to have the choice. My sole focus is what's on these children, is on these children. That's it. So whether if my standards are controversial or courageous, it doesn't matter to me. They are what they are. And I do that with a passion of, given how I came up and the importance of education to me, educational opportunity is the key to the future. Without that, we will have no future. You pay me now, you educate me, or you're gonna pay for me later because I'm uneducated. 80% of the people, 80% of the inhabitants of Rikers Island don't have a GD, a GD, a, a, a GED, 80%. 18 to 24, one fifth, one third read at fifth grade level. If that ain't a crisis, I don't know what is. We need to get this early. So I'm focused on every conceivable avenue. You talked about De La Salle, De La Salle Academy. Sixth to eighth grade inner city kids, gifted inner city kids. George Jackson Academy, an academy for black and brown boys named after George Jackson, grew up in Harlem, went to, went to Monsignor Kelly, which is a predecessor school to De La Salle, went on to Harvard College, was quite effective. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mind. Passed away all too early. And so we need examples like that. We need schools like De La Salle. We need schools like George Jackson to give our children the option, the opportunity for the possibilities of the greatness, for the possibilities of dignity, for the possibility of just existing in New York City with some level of ability to contribute and participate. That's what this is about. Okay, so let's switch to the last, last bucket of issues before we take questions from the floor. Um, uh, and this has to do, of course, with politics. Uh, you know, you've got the, you've got the ideas, you've got the experience uh, to be mayor, but you have to win the election. Um, and uh, election, if my math is correct, the, the election will be decided. Most people think in the Democratic primary, which, if my math is correct, is exactly sixty days from today. Does that sound right? It sounds uh, right. It sounds about right. Yeah, you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so. Um, um, your your uh, name recognition is low. You're not a professional politician, um, thankfully. Uh, and uh, but 50% of the electorate remains undecided. Um, 
you recently had what some people are characterizing as your Clyburn moment uh, with the uh, Greg Meeks um, endorsement. What's your path to victory? You know, people keep asking, what is my path to victory? My path to victory is with the people. I'm out talking to people every day. So it has taken a grassroots approach, but mixed with several other components. I think somebody referenced here that they've seen the ad campaigns on cable and network television airing now with a new ad just released. We've done multiple mailings to all five boroughs. We're going to be ramping that up to a wider universe. We've dropped four to 500,000 pieces of mail. We have an aggressive field program. I was on the Zoom call with about half of our volunteers last Friday. Over 100 people from every corner of the city and every ethnicity, religious background, and demographic. And oh, by the way, that's that group of people when we are putting our signatures on the ballot that generated almost 20,000 signatures. The only people who generated more are two of the people who've been in here who've been politicians for most of their careers, if not their entire life. We're meeting people where I'm, wherever they are, young folks on social media, to the elders and the senior residences. I'm going block by block, person by person, in the streets, from the subways to the salons, from the bodegas to the barbershops. I'm out there. I'm out there early. I finish late. I'm going directly to the people. I'm using whatever medium that we can get to to communicate with the millennials as well as to as well as with the elders. We're go, we're all in. We're playing every point. And the response that we've gotten so far has been overwhelming. We're getting the name out there. And when the name is out there and the message is associated with that name, the harshest critics, those who are the most seasoned leaders in this city, like the distinguished Congressman Gregory Meeks have stood up, like the distinguished Senator from New York of New York State, Senator Leroy Comrie, matriarch of Queens, Mother Vivian Cook. The leader, leadership from East Harlem, Roberto Rodriguez, Yadelka Kuyper from the Bronx, and there's more to come. You will see that everyday New Yorkers and those who lead everyday New Yorkers have stepped up for Ray McGuire because they've gone through the analysis, they've made the hard choices, and they recognize that those people who have been in office have not fulfilled what they said they're going to feel. New Yorkers want to change. They want somebody in whom they can believe, who's got the experience, who've exercised the judgment, who's managed teams, especially through the crisis. New Yorkers recognize ranked choice voting. That's rank Ray, number one. And that's how New Yorkers have voted and will continue to vote. At least that's what they're telling us. Tell, tell me, uh, tell us as we close here, um, my conversation with them, we'll get some questions. Uh, you mentioned ranked choice voting. How do you think about that? You know, the, the, we, I think we'll fare well in ranked choice voting. People are saying if I'm not their number one, which they say to me reluctantly because of some relationships they've had for a long time, I may be their number two. So we think eventually that ranked choice voting will turn out to our benefit. What we need to do in ranked choice voting is to make certain that the New York City electorate is informed on how ranked choice voting works, make sure they understand the ballot, they understand the implications of ranked choice voting. We need to do a better job on our campaign. We are out talking to voters, we hold forums, on ranked choice voting so we can inform and educate New Yorkers on how ranked choice voting what it and what it means, especially the elderly. And we also are doing this in, in multiple languages so that people who, who, who you know, need to understand in a language with which they have the highest level of comfort what ranked choice voting means and how it, and how it pertains to them and how they can participate. So we're out there educating. A large part of this is making sure that New Yorkers understand what it means and how it, how it impacts their lives and their vote. Uh, Will or Pat, what do you want? How do you want to handle the questions? Do you want to cycle? Do you want me to do? What do you want to do? Uh, well, we've got a lot of that aren't on the uh, on the chat wall. And uh, but first of all, I see Crystal is on. I just want to say we're happy to have Crystal on. If she wants to show her face, we'll let her say hello. But so that's up to Crystal. But thank you for for joining hello. us. Hello, uh, hey, Crystal, Crystal. Crystal. So good to see you. So this hello, is Mrs. So nice to have you, How are Crystal. You? It's it's well, wonderful to see you as well. This is an extraordinary gathering. Thank you for the platform for Ray to share his vision. I see several friends. Um, I do see my dear friend Linda Janklow that I just have to say hello. It's so wonderful to see your face. Um, and uh, I think I saw Stan Schumann as well. Stan's on. We got a lot Stan. of friends on here, and, yeah. and a lot of them have questions. We're so happy you're here. So, hey, Pat, right. why don't why don't we let Crystal ask the first question? Okay. <laughs> that's my better three quarters. That is, let's be clear. This is this is my better three quarters here. So, 
Alors, mon vieux, ça va, ça va, Yvandre? Yvandre, ça va, en forme? My French is not as good as yours, so. No, I was talking to Yvandre still. Oh. <laughs> Bonjour. All right. You're a grand chef. Pat, over to you. Okay, well, let's start Let's with go. Linda Janklo. As long as you mentioned Linda, Linda had a, has a question. And then Stan Schumann, and we'll continue from there. I'm actually going to change my question because it was actually covered, had to do with taxes and what's happening, how do we keep New Yorkers here. But I have, I'm listening to Ray and knowing how hard he's working and getting up at the crack of dawn and going to five boroughs, and all you have to do to really be in politics, which is the difficult part. I was just wondering, Ray, you have a huge group of people who support you, enormous amount of people who've known you for many years, many who've just met you during this campaign. And I'm thinking, what can we do to reach across the boundaries for you? And it occurred to me, I have never in all the years I've been sort of involved in politics ever had a candidate send us, particularly since Zoom in the last year, something that we could forward. Do you have a PowerPoint? Do you have an on-air flyer? Do you have an ad that you could send to all of us at the common good and elsewhere, and that we could forward to our friends and acquaintances to help your campaign? The answer is that, Linda, yes, we have uh, a few links. We have policy uh, to where we can direct you to the policy. It is a great question, and we'll get it to you. And we'll get okay. it to anyone else who, who uh, hasn't. Lily or Amanda, I think it. we should send it to everybody. Everybody who's ever been on a call for you or has shown interest. I know. Thank you. I we will, see, we I will do see just this. that. Yeah, I'd love to see that Spike Lee piece you did too. No, I don't, don't want just the ad. I want, I love that piece, but I also think it's more important. What Ray has said in the last half hour is what we want people to know. Linda, we have a pretty incredible, what we call our path to victory, and um, it's really terrific. You can cut and piece pieces out of it. I have seen it, but what I'm saying is if you send it to all of us, yep. everybody who's been all the Zoom calls and everywhere else, then we can disseminate it. Absolutely. And we have a great email that goes along with it so that, that Good. can be customized. Let's all have it. Yep, great. we'll get that done. Thank you. Okay, Stan Schumann. Thank you, Patricia. Stan, we can't hear you. Try again. I said, I would like to join you and Ray at the first Magic Celtics game to see how strong that friendship really is. First, we're going to pick up actually where. We have a courtside seat where, for you, Stan. Courtside seat, waiting for you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, really, the, the problem for Ray is getting the word out to enough voters that he becomes elected. And I find that the fundraising pitchers are like elevator pitchers. They don't have a lot of passion. Uh, they're very effective for raising money. But uh, uh, sessions like this, and the one you did with Abney, with Steve Rubenstein, uh, I thought was particularly effective, Ray. And the question is how to replicate that to the audience, which are the voters that you really need. And I wondered in this getting out to see the people, whether you have a group of surrogates, uh, for example, uh, Crystal would be fantastic out on the stump and others that could multiply your efforts in this very short period we have left. The, the answer, Stan, is a great question, and we are deploying that as we speak. And we're going to get we're going to get more surrogates involved. Uh, we've identified a number of surrogates, and we're going to get more involved. And I see a few surrogates, potential surrogates, on this screen. Some of whom are, have already been fully engaged. So we need to continue to engage them even more. Great point. I'm I'm glad you raised it, and we're on it. Can I just interject just for one second and say that we actually, Ray, as you know, and you identified, we actually do have surrogates that um, are the some of our micro-targeting surrogates who are speaking to several of the um, prime voters for Ray that are that are um, in Harlem, one of the prime voting areas. We have um, several um, small business owners and influencers who are Ray supporters from, you know, Marcus Samuelson to other 
Harlem-based, Queens-based. I mean, um, Congressman Greg Meeks is an incredible surrogate and there'll be something else coming out with him next week. Uh, so all of the places where we have um, received endorsements and there are the um, community organizations, the business owners that are um, uh, supporters of Ray have actually created um, videos that are going all around the internet from Facebook to TikTok to um, Instagram, Twitter, that have been really quite effective in broadening the base for, for Ray. Crystal, you can also talk about what uh, we're able to uh, highlight last Monday, Tuesday with a Women for Ray. Oh, yes, yes. And so we just exactly, we just have our Women for Ray that has launched, that has a wide array of women across New York City who are supporters of Ray. And so that's our like a massive um, surrogate effort as well. And so again, it includes frontline workers to Broadway producers, um, doctors, um, people, people in the arts, lawyers, um, entrepreneurs, tech startups. I mean, from, you know, ballerinas, from, from Misty Copeland to um, Lushawn Thompson, the widow of the late great Ken Thompson, who was the Brooklyn DA and, and really in everyone in between. You know, Mary J. Blige, uh, Naomi Campbell, uh, the list just Emily, Emily Rafferty, just a broad spectrum. And I believe some on this call as well, a broad spectrum of New York women who have um, known Ray for many years and have known him as someone who um, in his track record has had the backs of women in business, women entrepreneurs helping get them get access to capital, to there's a, a Melba's in Harlem. I don't know. This is like a prime example of a Ray story that does, doesn't necessarily get reflected in the polls. So I don't know if any of you have been to Melba's in Harlem, an amazing soul food restaurant. And we were there with Melba for a restaurant alliance gathering. And Melba says to Ray, Ray, you do know that you were the first black person, you know, a couple decades ago that invested in my business. If it weren't for you, this wouldn't even have gotten off the ground. I don't know that Ray even remembered that because he's done that for so many thousands of businesses and people across New York City, from schools to hospitals to cultural institutions. Ray has been there. And that's what we're really seeing reflected in this groundswell of support that Ray is receiving. Well, they're awesome, Crystal. So thank you. Um, and that sounds like an exciting initiative. Um, next, we're going to go to Lynn Grossman, then David Kemp, and then Ken Miller. So, Lynn. Hi, thanks, Patricia. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for a very interesting conversation. Uh, I have a question about the Amazon deal in Long Island City, and I wish you would speak to that, whether you would have done it the same way, and um, if not, how would you have handled it differently? Uh, first of all, it is a travesty that we did not have, that we don't have HQ2 here. Just completely misled. As the leader of this city, I would have gone and advocated for, I'd have gone, if I'd had to knock doors, I'd gone right into the neighborhood to explain the benefit of having Amazon here, the number of jobs that it would have created, the amount of infrastructure that it would have created, the number of schools that have been built, the economic multiply would have been, which ha would have been in the billions. What Amazon lacked was leadership. And I get the voices that are pretty loud that rejected Amazon. Amazon would not have happened on my watch. I wanna be clear, it would not have happened on my watch, meaning Amazon would have been here. We would have promoted and celebrated Amazon. We clearly would have to have all of the important views of the community involved, which is again, something that they didn't do, but I would have had the community involved, but I would have led the parade on getting HQ2 here. I wanna be clear about this. Yes, here. Yes, jobs. Yes, school. Yes, infrastructure. Yes, billions of dollars to the economy. Yes, HQ2. Thank you. Okay, David and then Ken, and then we've still got four or five after that. So let's make it lightning round. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks, Ray, for joining us. You talked about uh, 
trying to get guns off the street. By all accounts, uh, Bloomberg's stop and frisk policy was successful in doing that. Uh, what's your view on stop and frisk? I, I think the I think they're they're post the Bloomberg era after we stopped stop and frisk. If you look at the data, we were as successful as more successful in getting guns off the street than we were during stop and frisk. The impact of stop and frisk is 750 to 800, if not more, black and brown kids whose lives were impacted fundamentally. And so I would not be in favor of that. There are more direct measures that have shown to be more effective post-stop and frisk. And I have to admit, uh, Mike has apologized for that. So the community has accepted that apology, but it did have impact negatively on a lot of people's lives. And there are other ways to go about it, which I would deploy to get the guns off the street including attacking the iron pipeline, the I-95 pipeline. So there are ways to do this that we know how to get done. And I would deploy those ways to get the guns off the street. And Miller. Uh-oh. Sorry, Ray, listen, uh, this is maybe the fourth or fifth of these convenings that Livis and I have uh, attended. And I loved uh, Linda Janklow's suggestion of something to send. It would be wonderful if after each of these, when we're so fired up by your great plans, that you said, send this. Don't give us a choice. Just tell us, get it out there. And when it comes to what we can do to help you win, which is the question, maybe we could get down to the very specific scenario of how do we vote? You covered uh, what happens if you're not number one. Yes, we should vote for you for number two. Everybody should if they, if they have another commitment. But what if we vote for you for number one? Who should we vote for for number two that maximizes the chances of you prevailing? So that is a great question, Ken, to which we have yet to actually formulate a final response. You have to look at those people who when you got to look at the policies, for one, to see where the policies align. But apart from that, when you get to the calculus of ranked choice voting, with whom do we partner and how will that calculus eventually fold, uh, unfold? There are, I think, 10 people or so, if not more, on the ballot. So as we think about how we go through and, and, and game this, if you will, and that gaming is from, a, from an algorithmic standpoint, we're going through now figuring out who has what support and where. And as they drop off where we are and with whom do we partner? So we're going through that assessment as we speak. Right, we'll provide that to all of our top supporters. We'll do, we've done a couple already, ranked choice voting seminars, but as we get closer to the election, this is really something that we won't know until, you know, really sort of 10, seven to 10 days out where we'll provide the final ranking that we would suggest our supporters to use. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. So we've got, um, I'll do the next three and we've got a few after that. Richard Cohen, a good friend of Ray's and Glenn's. Richard? Gentlemen, first of all, a great job. Glenn, your interview was uh, the highest of caliber, especially because you asked all of my questions. <laughs> so I'm going to have to come up the with- The answers uh, were better than ones. the questions, Richard. Yes, they certainly were. And um, I'll just make one comment about Ray. I'm lucky enough to hang around in the same circles with Ray McGuire and uh, Glenn Hutchins. Um, and when it comes to Ray, you know, the opposite of most politicians, those people that know him the best are the ones that really respect him uh, and care for him. And that, that's a very good and very rare contribute in politics. I'm just going to make two comments, Ray. In listening to this whole event, um, I think what concerns most voters today are the economics. We touched on it, but, and it's not just, you know, the people on this call who tend to be a little older and a little more affluent. It's the young people who have moved out of the city in droves and have left while their kids have gone in 
gone to school in the suburbs with real school, and they've watched, you know, the turmoil with the unions in the city and with what's happened. There has to be a strong economic message and how you're going to keep people in the city. You know, since SALT, it has been a mass exodus. And I think that's one way to differentiate yourself. The other thing is, um, why has no one mentioned Andrew Yang, who is a ne'er-do-well? I mean, what does this guy do that makes him the front runner for being mayor? And this tends, you know, how aggressive should your campaign be in going after Andrew Yang and these others on economic issues? We all like you, we all respect you, and we're nervous about staying in the city and keeping people. The city has to be balanced. And I think um, we had Eric Adams on, Patricia, and what do you say, 35,000 people in New York pay how much of the taxes? Over 50%. Yeah. And now yeah. we got to let Ray answer. Yes. Sorry, Ray. <laughs> so that, that, listen, that, Richard, that's like many of your equipment. So, you know, it's a question with a statement. So I respect that. We know you are. So thank you very much. Listen, you're right. It got to come down the economy, which is where I started. No jobs, no city. And it has jobs across the spectrum from entry level jobs to jobs of making sure that those who, who generate the most income stay. You got to make it safe for the, the emerging workers and the entrepreneurs, which is where my focus has been. But I got to get the small businesses up and running. And I got to make sure that business recognizes the city welcomes them, which is going to come through my, my deputy mayor for small businesses and the concierge service there. So, you know, as I focus on that and as I focus on talking to the, the business leaders in the city to make sure that they stay here, to let them know that we need them here, that they're an important part of the fabric of the city. That's part of my, what I intend to do. Different to how anybody else can go do this, because you know I've, I've had re long-standing relationships with them. They understand my track record of leadership and management. And so if they're gonna invest in any leader, it's gonna be me because they've seen what I can do. And they recognize that I come without any favors. So I'm gonna do what is, which is what I've always done, which is what is in the best interest of, you know, then had to be my clients and now it's gonna be the city which I'm perfectly prepared to go lead. So you're right, Richard, I got to focus on the economy, which is what we're going to do. With respect to any of the other candidates, my sense is those candidates, one who have been in this race forever, who've held office, that New Yorkers are recognizing that they've had their chance and nothing's changed. In fact, we've gone backwards. And for those others who are now surface, who've kind of parachuted into this, New Yorkers are recognizing this is a game show. This is serious. You know, it's not a matter of big hat, no cattle. This is like, small hat and no cattle. And at some point this is gonna surface and it's being surfaced practically every day. That's an important question. So Bill Hubbard, let's hear from you. And then Richard Gordon, and a few more. Bill? I think he's, Bill, you're on, you're on mute. You have to mute, unmute, sir. I no longer see him, Patricia. Oh, that's too bad. Wait okay. a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, <laughs> I know you had your hand up for a while. Am I on? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, by the way, I went to Hotchkiss, but many decades before you. Um, when LaGuardia was pre uh, uh, mayor, he got the city through the depression by forging an alliance with Roosevelt. And um, he flew down there almost weekly to meet with the president to plead the case for federal assistance. So <clears throat> what are your thoughts on how we can make sure we get our fair share of the American Rescue Plan money, and more importantly, um, the um, uh, proposed infrastructure funds? Great question. That reminds me of having conversations with people like Dick Ravage and Peter Solomon when they talked about what happened in the 70s with, with Victor Gottbaum and Felix Royden 
and a group of leaders in New York who often went to Washington because there was a, a, uh, there was a report of a, a speech that the then president gave to the economic club, New York dropped dead, at which point New Yorkers went to Washington to make sure that it was revived. My plan is to continue the leadership that we've seen from the great senator here, who's been quite remarkable in the amount of dollars that we've gotten to the state and to the city. And it is also to access my relationships in Washington. Uh, Mr. Hubbard, I introduced Vice President Kamala Harris to New York. So we have good relationships in Washington, which we know we're going to have to access. We have strong relationships with uh, two senators here, and Senator Schumer and Senator Gillibrand. We clearly have strong relationships with the congressional leadership in the, in the form of uh, Congressman Greg Meeks. So we'll be able to access, and by the way, constructive relationships with leadership in Albany. We will be able to access the resources and go and lead the delegation to Washington to make the best case, or make the case that will be the best case that anybody can make with as much, if not more credibility than anyone else who can go to Washington and make the case. Well, that I hate to say it, it's it's 12 o'clock, it's the top of the hour, and uh, we're leaving about five or six questions on the floor. I'm so sorry, everybody, but Ray, that was an amazing presentation. We're thrilled to have seen Crystal here from you today too. And Glenn, you are awesome too. Thank you so much, everybody. Good luck, uh, Ray. Thank you, you all. Know. Thanks for being here. Patricia, thank you for your leadership and for convening this. And for all the friends here, Glenn, GHH, you're my guy. Thank you. We've been riding this for a long time, all four to five decades. Richie Conway, thank you. For all my Hotchkiss crew, thank you. For the Harvard <laughs> crew, thank you. And for all New Yorkers, this is our moment in history. Let's come together. I need you. This city needs you. I can't get this done without you. But this ain't about me. It's about we. So let's go get this done. Appreciate you. Thank you. I'm deeply grateful for what you do here, Patricia. We're all in. Let's go do this, okay? Let's win. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the new friends, too, Patricia. Oh, happy to present them to you. Happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Crystal, for, you. for joining in. Thanks, Crystal. Thank you all. Great Join job, us. Great, great weekend, everyone. Enjoy. Thanks.